Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June. This is for you Brisbane friends. So the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June. An informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July, this is for our Warnable and Great South Coast Take On Board Friends, an event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance, from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track, the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Carolyn Grant about psychological safety in the boardroom and how it relates to decision making. First, let me tell you about Carolyn. Carolyn is an advisory board member to Civic Ledger, Samford Support Network and Surge Proprietary Limited. She's an advisor, author and creator of tools and frameworks founded in neuroscience to provide evidence-based insights to improve the quality of our decisions and the implementation of them in our organisations. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Carolyn. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So, as always, before we delve into our topic of psychological safety in the boardroom. I always love to hear a little bit more about the person we're talking to. So can you tell me something from the last month or so that you're proud of? Yes, this is a good month to ask, actually, because, um, well, I think just actually getting the psychological safety boardroom benchmark out, that has been a significant achievement because it was all self-funded. I even started talking to you about it a year and a half ago. So it's it's I believe it's that long ago already, yes. I know. And so that has taken a lot longer than I thought. Um, and I think it's just, you know, not knowing when to stop and go, all right, now break here, just produce it. Uh, and the second thing we did was a, a huge project with women on boards and we basically developed a legacy leadership framework, so a new model of leadership after more than two decades of a crisis in leadership. So it's a bit of a big month, actually. I don't know how I got them to land all on the same month. It wasn't planned, believe me. <laughs> Right, so it's kind of the um, the landing of 18 months' work is all coming together in this month. Well done you. Absolutely, yeah, good month. 
you've you've had a lot of things land in the in the last month. One of them being your psychological safety benchmark. Before we delve into that part, I know we keep saying before we delve, before we delve, but what from your own experience drove you to conduct that research into psychological safety? Yeah, great question. I was a board member and um, I went to do some refresher courses and I did it with the AICD because I'm a graduate of the of their governance program but I was also exposed to some of the training within the governance institute so mm. as you know you know when you're first actually starting to sit down you're, you're just listening and taking in all the conversations around you and I, I'm a big doodler I start writing and, and you know, I have hundreds and hundreds of pages everywhere I'm, I must stop that but I looked down and I was looking at the words I'd written and, and it was just this word you know toxic culture um, mm. fighting recording issues and they were very similar to some of the arguments that I'd heard on my own board, but also I guess it was a little bit distressing that people's anxiety levels and their sense of comfort and their sense of dissatisfaction whilst they were working on boards was actually coming through really strongly. And we were looking at topics such as how to optimise the improvement of your board and things like that. And I was saying, and, you know, as I'm listening, I'm thinking, wow, we're not even, how can we really optimise our decision-making if this is the the basis of conversation just when we're coming and talking to each other and I thought about it for a while and I had joined women on boards and a few other groups and just listening and, and I was getting the same sorts of anecdotal evidence coming through and I started asking questions and initially I, I did want one of those bigger organizations to take on the research and do it but I didn't get a lot of interest and mm. I think I was just curious enough and wanted to actually understand it better to go just do it do it yourself then and and look, it was a real passionate topic for me because about three years ago, I was introduced to a woman called Linda Ray from NeuroCapability who had started talking to me about neuroscience and leadership. And mm -hmm. it was fascinating. I was loving every minute of it. It got me out of bed in the morning almost more than my work did. And as part of that, I was introduced to two words, which was called psychological safety. And I went, oh, oh, okay, this is my aha moment because I've been going in doing a lot of training with organisations and leadership teams on customer centricity. But what I found was we were losing those people as fast as I was training them. So mm. I would go into big organisations and we'd be looking at a 30% churn rate and I went, right, here I've been measuring engagement, I've been measuring culture, I've been doing a lot of this activity, but I think I've actually been missing it. The root cause of all of this and one of our lead indicators of this is psychological safety. So it changed everything for me. And so when I started applying psychological safety and then suddenly the, the things that I was hearing from boards, I went, wow, how much has actually been done to look at our boards in terms of psychological safety? How much has actually been done with our leadership teams and that interaction? And I found very little, but a lot in psychological safety. So I kind of, that almost, you know, gave me more incentive. And then I spoke to people like yourself. I spoke to people like Lisa Cook, Claire Braun from Women on Boards, and they were all encouraging me, going, do it. We'll promote it. We'll push it out there. And so it was actually probably a real labour of love, but um, it was a lot easier with that collective and it was, funnily enough, all women that were pushing it, which was absolutely, you know, it was great. It was fantastic for me. Yeah, well, I know when we first met, and I cannot believe it's 18 months ago, but there you go, or whenever it might, might have been, you've got such a natural sense of curiosity and I loved how you were like, oh, I was curious about this, so I went and did something about it. 
<laughs> which not enough people do, quite frankly. It's like, oh, I'm curious about this, or oh, there's nothing out there, oh, well. And then, no, but you were just like, oh, let's just get on and do it then, shall we? I love it. So tell us how this piece of work came to be, and then tell me about what the findings were. I was really lucky, I think, as I said, the networks that I had and people like yourself and Lisa Cook, Claire Braun, really interested in the topic. I think they mm -hmm. had started looking at the dynamics of boards and, and everything is around improving that board dynamic and improving that quality of decision-making. And to put into a little bit of context, I don't know if anyone's ever read the book, The Caves, and it was about, you know, the, the mm. Thailand boys soccer team that were rescued. One of the best books I have ever read. I've read it three times. Right. And I look at that in terms of psychological safety. And I look at whoever had to make these decisions, you know, and, and they changed leadership to a couple of times during that. But here you had people from various backgrounds, various cultures, all trying to save one problem and that was very very clear that they wanted to save the lives of these young boys and this soccer team manager you know that was their one clear goal mm. and regardless of the hierarchies regardless of the differences of positions and of experience you know you had men that basically were selling nests of birds who actually came down saying maybe we could help by the way that we do this maybe we could help because mm. this is how close that we can get you know so no one was ignored, no experience was dismissed. And I looked at that and went, that was a good decision. That was a that was great decision making on a great scale where everyone had a one goal. And then I look at some of the frontline papers that we have and stories that we have at the moment around our boards and some of the decisions that we make and some of them that have ended in fatalities. And, you know, you start to really question what are we doing on these boards and where are we going with them? From a regulatory perspective, we've had a lot of change and a lot of focus on workplace health and safety and psychological safety. So that has created a real great impetus. But my passion was quite simply, I go into organisations and I'm trying to get the best out of them. I'm trying to go, how can we have this high performing team, but also how can we mitigate the risk as that we're now exposed to as leaders and managers? And if we don't have this open conversation and we don't have this ability to be transparent and tell the truth, then we're just exposing to each other at more and more risk. And yeah. I have a partner who who I've been married to for a number of years, who was a barrister on workplace health and safety. And to be honest, every time I left for a boardroom meeting, he was getting stressed. And when I came mm -hmm. home, he was even more stressed. And we do, we have to actually start looking at what's on the line here as part of these roles and what exposure are we being exposed to by the other people around our, our table and by those mm -hmm. that are actually reporting to us and sometimes sanitising reports, thinking that they're telling us what we need to hear as opposed to... Yeah you know, or what, what we want to hear as opposed to actually what we need to hear. Absolutely. So what we did is I went out and I used those networks that I had created that were fabulous. You know, when you talk about something like psychological safety that not many people actually understand and I've been trying to, you know, generate awareness of it for three years. Well, I was going to say, you're right, it, so it sounds a bit mysterious and it's not that mysterious at all. So, tell, yeah, tell us what it is and then what you did. And it's really interesting. I think we've all had those moments, if we put it in a personal context, you know, where we've sat around in a team and we've known the answer to a problem, but we haven't been able to speak up and talk about it, where we've wanted to speak up, 
but we're afraid of someone else actually putting us down, of laughing at us, of mm. cutting us off. We've all had those moments where we've seen others be interrupted or dismissed. Yeah. Um, we've been marginalised. We haven't been accepted for everything that we have to give. We've been pigeonholed into our marketing skill sets or our IT skill sets or our finance skill sets. So these sorts of things really start to add up. And actually, when we started asking the question, a majority of the time, 80% of people will answer yes to have been treated like this within a meeting within the last 24 or 48 hours. So essentially, the easiest way that I put it is psychological safety is where you feel safe enough to be vulnerable with other people. First of all, you feel that you're part of a team, that you feel safe and included and you feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. Only then can we move to the second stage where you actually then feel safe enough to ask questions. Then you actually move into the third phase, which is more around, do I feel safe to actually contribute now? Can I actually give my opinion freely and I'm not not afraid that something's going to happen if I give that opinion? And then finally, when we're at that level of safety, we're at the ultimate level of safety, which is where all of our problem solving and our innovation comes from, which is I feel safe to challenge that I think Mm. we can do things better. How can we come up with ways to actually do things better to improve this? And when you look at patient experience, customer experience, things that we actually need, adaptability and innovation, what you're actually trying to do there is do things better than the way they're currently being done. And, you know, that continuous improvement comes from that safety. So if people don't feel like that, if they feel like they might be interrupted, they might be punished they might be overlooked for a promotion or overlooked for a project they may be even just laughed at you know they feel humiliated or embarrassed then you haven't got that psychological safety which means that in terms of trying to get that dynamic to actually innovate problem solve deliver great customer service you're not ever going to actually achieve that so from the benchmark study that you did what should boards be thinking about then in for their own decision-making, for their own dynamics? What should they be thinking about? The the boards at the moment, I think if, I, if it was me, it would be making sure that I'm actually measuring the right thing. So, yeah. you know, as I said, we were measuring engagement. We should have been looking at a lead indicator. By the time we get to engagement, by the time we get to culture, we're, they're lag indicators. We need to be looking at lead indicators. So the great thing about the research is that it showed that it was a lead indicator. So it's a lead indicator for advocacy in terms of board advocacy and in terms of organisational advocacy. So if you're not getting great referrals internally, you're certainly not going to be getting them from your customers to a large degree. If you can't fill and attract great talent, that's going to have a, an impact on the type of talent that you're acquiring in your organisation. So that showed a positive correlation. It also showed a positive correlation with our critical decision-making and the value or the, the quality of decisions that were coming from our boards. And that was a self-assessment. So I didn't go in and assess the quality of the decisions. The people who were filling in the surveys said, we don't believe the quality of our decisions are actually high, we, you know, we don't think that. So, so as a result of that, that actually puts a whole lot of warnings and alerts to me, to director and officer insurance, to workplace health and safety insurance obligations. So to me, if we're going to start looking at numbers, let's actually look at numbers that are lead indicators of our performance and, and of our future or potential risk. So that's what I loved about psychological safety and then the research supported that. I think interestingly, only 25% of those respondents said that their decisions were highly effective. So that to me was, oh, wow, that's that's distressing. When we actually asked in terms of your people and culture decision, that dropped to 13% being highly effective. 
So, you know, and then we said, well, do you personally feel like you're, you're effective on the board? And 35% said they were. You know, we're not utilising the strengths that we have around a boardroom table because one of the things that came through really clearly was that everyone wanted to be valued and they wanted to give and they did have the same, I can't say that it was the same purpose. I think they're questioning each other's purpose, but they certainly had a, a key driver that they didn't think was a, a poor intentioned one. That, that there was a higher purpose for them being there, but they just did not feel valued or that their strengths were being optimised around that bordering table. So when I look at that in terms of, well, what exposure are you now exposed to in terms of just from a workplace health and safety perspective, in terms of other people within those teams and the leadership team, that's great risk because psychological safety has an impact on physical safety. Uh, psychological safety has an impact on your customer and the level of service they're getting. It has an impact on your the mental health within organisations. And we've been able to demonstrate, obviously, that in terms of the advocacy, in terms of is this a good organisation to work for? Is this a good organisation to purchase products and services from? So, so for me, it's had a really great impact. But those three questions to me was something that we all should be asking, uh, are we actually making great quality decisions? In mergers and acquisitions, you know, for me, there is no way I would want to buy out another company unless I did a psychological safety assessment of that other organisation because you don't know the future pain that you're going to be getting within the next six to 12 months. So it has impacts everywhere. If I'm understanding right, psychological safety is a lead indicator for a good organisation, to broadly sum it up. Other than asking people, do you feel safe, or maybe that's it, how do you know you've got psychological safety or not? I think it's it's very visible. It's it's definitely a psychological safety is a personal assessment of your own feeling of safety, your own feeling that I can actually contribute. We measure levels of respect. We measure levels of trust. And we measure how the types of permission people believe they have to freely be able to contribute. And so there's a number of questions that we ask around that. And we've even had to probably increase the number because there have been such trust issues from a leadership team. And, and that was one of the things that came through. We were lucky enough that a lot of the work that I've done with organisations and their leadership teams and their boards and, and management teams, we had enough information to be able to do some comparisons. And, you know, what we saw was this trust level, the high levels of trust within our boards and our uh, executive leadership teams were only at around three out of ten that felt that they trusted each other with high levels of trust. When we dropped that down to an organisational level, it was suddenly 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10. So we have great levels of trust from a frontline perspective. Probably one of the, the biggest issues, and, and for those that are working in transformation, project change, those sorts of projects, only 36% of our frontline employees trusted the decisions coming down from our management teams or our leadership teams. So that to me says if we want to look at why some of our change and transformation or our innovation projects are not working, then, then let's look at this level of trust. But, of course, it, it doesn't. It's just not all about that. Probably one of the biggest misconceptions around psychological safety is that it's all about feeling nice around the boardroom table, and that's not it at all. You know, it really is about this intellectual friction that you have, that you're able to debate, you're able to give your opinions across, you're able to share this information, but you don't do it thinking that you've got this personal conflict or this personal attacks. You're able to go, look, this is where robust decision-making happens. This is where we get external experts to actually give us some advice around certain things. Or we use that 
differing opinions and performance and perceptions and history of the people around that table. So without that and without that vigorous debate and that ability to facilitate that, we're not actually getting psychological safety at all. And probably the other thing that comes around that is that this lack of accountability. So we had 623 people respond, so it was a significant study, but only 14% believed that there was actually accountability within their board or leadership teams. So psychological safety is also around that. It's about giving people the frameworks to be able to behave correctly. So this means taking our values to the next level in terms Mm. of well, how do we actually exhibit those behaviours? But also what's the sacrifice when we decide that we're going to exhibit these behaviours? And we've never really asked ourselves those questions. And from an ethics perspective, I think we need to because those little, well, we're just going to do this once and we're just going to let this slide a little bit is causing this huge ethical slide that I think we're seeing everywhere. And certainly that was the other thing that came through from the survey, that they don't believe that the processes and the systems that are in place are actually getting rid of a lot of the personal tensions that come involved in decision-making. And so, therefore, it's actually eroding a lot of the good work that, that should be happening around organisations. Mm-hmm. That was gold for me in, in getting that information. And I guess the other thing that, that it sort of brings to mind, and, and I always have to say it because of the network that I had and the way everyone out, went out, people assume that this study was mainly done with women but 77% were men. So we have 77% of men out there saying we don't feel psychologically safe around the boardroom table. So, you know, four out of 10 of them are not feeling safe. And a lot of the time when we asked them the reason why, it was more around this sense of loyalty, that they'd been tapped on the shoulder and they felt hard, you know, difficult to challenge the status quo because they felt like they were being disloyal to the person that had brought them onto the board. That was a really telling and strong men, strong men, intelligent men. So it comes in all sorts of ways, shapes and sizes. Oh, my gosh, that is all so interesting. There is a number of rabbit holes I want to go down there. For good decision-making, my view, uh, you need diversity and you need constructive tension. Having tension in the boardroom or tension in any group is not a bad thing as long as there is psychological safety and it's managed well. Having said that, groupthink is clearly easier. If everyone can walk out of the boardroom and just pat themselves on the back about what an awesome job they've done, then everyone feels great about that. So that tension, I would say it's, it, it's inextricably linked to psychological safety to have that good outcome from diversity. But what can you tell me about the benchmark and the report that you found in that regard? Yeah, there was probably not a lot, lot of diversity. We had from a racial diversity, we only had about mm-hmm. 4%. Mm-hmm. From a gender diversity, yes. 77% males, only 1% that didn't want to identify. Mm-hmm. It, all those stats probably represent boardrooms. Would be, it certainly does on the gender side. I'm not sure if it does in terms of cultural diversity, but it probably represents the boardrooms of Australia. Yeah, absolutely. What we were able to do is, and, and this is probably one area that we focus on in terms of the reason we don't use customised or non-customised tools is that we were able to look at some of the dynamics around that boardroom table in terms of the cognitive diversity. So, Mm. you know, as you know, you'll have people that are more driven by certainty. You'll have Mm. others that are more driven by, I just want autonomy. Others that are more Mm. the connectors and the relationship person. Others that are absolutely driven by shared values and others Mm. that are really around fairness and equity. 
others that might be around status and significance. Now, this really changes the dynamic of your board in terms of what you're wanting to achieve. If you've got a lot of people around that table that are in status and significance and maybe in certainty, but you want to, you're needing to adapt and move quite fast and quickly in terms of innovation, those two are generally going to slow you down, you know, mm. because you've got people who are just going to continually check and check and overcheck in terms of that certainty and your significance and status are not generally going to want to go away from what the liked response is or show me where I'm going to be profiled a little bit more and this enhances it, then, then maybe we can look at it. So we've got some real cognitive diversities around that boardroom table and, of course, that's what's throwing a lot of us into this dynamic that's not nice, that it hasn't got that nice intellectual friction and it hasn't got that levels of psychological safety that we need because we actually don't understand how we should be talking to each other mm. or even reporting to each other. And a lot of that comes down to, well, if, if someone is high uncertainty, then what you need to be telling them is, where's the process, where's the procedure, where's the checklist, where's the accountability, give me all the information that you can possibly give, even if you think it's not necessary, over-inform me. Now, the person who's more around relationship and, and connection, you know, they might not be interested in all of that detail, but they'll want to know, well, what's it going to do? What's, what's the positive impact here? Who's it going to impact? How can we celebrate this? How can we mm -hmm. work with this as a team? How can we keep this together? And what are those milestones that we can celebrate? So you've got to give them different information. And that's what we, I don't think we're doing that very well. We're kind of assuming yeah. that everyone is the same as me. And so when we're giving information, we're not actually taking into consideration that we've all got different realities here. And we often start with that. We start with what are the different ways that we think and how can we mm. actually get on board? Our second one is that we are almost becoming the worst communicators in the world and almost the higher we go up, the, the worse it is. And I think when we ask ourselves, are we good at communication? We think, well, I can write, I can speak English, I can, I can talk. Yeah, I'm a really good communicator. I'm, I, I write reports yes. all the time. But our conversational skills are declining at such a rapid rate because we've got too many things going on. Mm. A lot of our time is so poor. And I think when we look at groupthink, our time resources are really yeah. driving a lot of that. But if we went back to conversation, half the time we're not even talking the same thing. We're, not talk we're talking different languages. We actually haven't made sure that around that boardroom table we all have the same reality and the same perception of what we're talking about. So yeah. how can we actually have these conversations that are robust when we're all talking 12 different things or we're yeah. all, you know, we're at cross purposes because we haven't made the first step in going, are we all agreed that this is what we're talking about? Is this, yeah. you know, the other is that we're so busy trying to pigeonhole people into how it makes us feel less fearful about working with them that we've forgotten that everyone comes with this huge array of skills and experience. Mm prior to coming so you know we need to actually step back on the judgment and actually have a little bit of self-awareness about what's throwing us into this risk that we have to start pigeonholing people and we can't just accept that they're here and that everyone has something to say yeah. so you know we've got a few I think we need to be a little bit more human and we need to actually take that back into the boardroom a bit it's all great to understand the financials but you know they're too late by the time we're looking at the financials some of these people issues are costing you a significant amount of money and are mm. about to get you in trouble either legally or regulatory um yeah. you know be a bit more human in the boardroom and on the finance committee and on the risk and audit committee and on those on the hard-edged ones be a bit more human i love it mm. yeah and you know our the way we address people, and, and I, I don't know 
it's probably a question to ask later on. But what I've found is a lot of our people and culture issues are addressed by governance around our risk mm-hmm. teams. And I'm not putting people into a pigeonhole box here. I don't, but a lot of the time we need to have our people and culture issues taken out of that and, may, and we need to have the proper yes. resources and time addressed around our people, you know. We have to do that. Um, it's not going to work sticking this into a a finance or a governance or a risk committee that and quite often those people aren't experienced enough or getting enough of the information from our front line to be able to make great decisions you know we're not able to get the, the facts that we need to actually drive those insights yeah well there you go I was just well I'm going to come to it now about what are the main points you want people to take away and for me that's one of them having that people and culture in its own part yeah so what are the key points you want people to take away from this conversation today we've had about psychological safety i think if if people don't understand what psychological safety is upskill on it straight away this is probably one of your biggest risks and um, you know we've just had respect at work a legislation come in this links directly into that and and has a whole lot of repercussions but it goes further you know this is about your personal exposure as a result of any sort of bullying or harassment or the fact that people feel that there are other psychosocial hazards. And that's about feeling fatigued, overly fatigued. There's a lot of different hazards within there that we need to be aware of. And all of our state departments are great in providing information, free information around our psychosocial hazards and how to do that. So, But I would say upskill, get a boardroom briefing if you can and and have that brown trouser talk as our legal friends like to call it the second is I think we need to improve on our conversational intelligence mm-hmm. to me it's all starting there it starts with a conversation that conversation builds to a relationship that relationship takes it into culture you know so if we want to look at where we're going to start let's look at that conversational level and making sure we all have those skill sets you know we talk about how how culture takes such a long time and i think it's because we're not starting with conversations we're too busy trying to change the values and we're trying to get people to change their behaviors but let's actually start at conversation level so that we can have those accountability discussions around our behaviors we can have those accountability discussions around our performance without throwing everyone at a risk you know and and, and behaving badly then as a result So they're, to me, the two things, upskill yourself in psychological safety because this is your greatest risk and to look at your conversational intelligence skills and upskilling that from a governance checklist, I would be saying if if you haven't got that on your performance indicator in terms of here's our finance balance sheet, but here's our people balance sheet in terms of psychological safety, then, again, you're at great risk. But also there's an upside to this. You focus on this, you're going to see an improved performance you know mm-hmm. businesses have shown that that there's usually a 22 percent uptake in your performance so let's focus on that you'll see that your reliance on all your policies and procedures and all of your the values and all of the things that you do to try and drive behavior will actually drop off because you won't mm-hmm. have to spend any time on that so you'll spend it on doing those great improvements and the learning and the innovation that you've been wanting to spend more time on so that's probably from a, from a board governance perspective, that's what I'd be doing. If your leadership teams are not actually reporting on their people issues around their psychological safety ratings and what we're doing to improve and how we're growing them, um, then, then I think there's great risk there. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? There is. We're doing boardroom briefings, obviously. We think it's really important. But we also do assessments of boards and their leadership teams and their organisations. So we we do organisational level. 
so to me we're, we're here for you we're here to help mm. the, mm-hmm. the um, real modus operandi here is is to provide the insights that you need to make better decisions and to reduce your personal risk as well as your organizational risk so um, we've got lots of tools and frameworks whether it be around how do you drive innovation and reduce the risk of taking it to market to mm. our psychological safety and assessments to best practice communication and how we use that so it's all underscored with that neuroscience feel to it so it's Fantastic. Um, hopefully allowing us to actually put the focus where we actually need to so that we're actually getting bigger bang for dollars so if we've only got a hundred dollars to spend we're at least spending it in the right place we will obviously put a link to your report and to the summary report. As I understand it, the full report's available for purchase, but the summary report people can just have a look at. So I'll make sure we put links to both of those in the show notes as well as to that book. If you can send me a link to that book that you mentioned about the Thai caves, I'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well. It's a great read. It's a really fascinating read. Thank you. So great to have some of this research. So great to have you here to be able to explain it to the Take On Board community. So thank you so much for taking the time today to share some of that with the Take On Board community. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.